0: Welcome to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Each week I bring the world of hunting, fishing, and conservation to you. From the great hunting and fishing opportunities found in the Americas, to the dream safaris located on the dark continent beyond. I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's dream, as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Today, I'm thrilled to have on Cable Smith. Cable runs a show called Lone Star Outdoor Show, and he was the second person I listened to that puts in outdoor... I'm, I'm going to redo this. Hold on. I apologize.
1: Sure. Yeah, no worries. No worries at all. That's the beauty of pre-recording.
0: Yeah. I, all of a sudden, I realized I didn't want to say second. I just want to say one of the first. <laughs> Welcome to an episode... Welcome to another episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason, and today I'm excited to have with us Cable Smith. Cable runs a show called Lone Star Outdoor Show, and uh, he was one of the first outdoor uh, hunting and fishing uh, series that I listened to uh, before I started mine, and I still enjoy listening to his show. He's got some fantastic guests. Cable, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me, man. I certainly appreciate
0: it. Oh, It's great to have you here. I appreciate it. So, tell us a little bit about your show. Uh, How long have you had the Lone Star Outdoor Show?
1: Oh, man. It's, uh, I guess we're 350 episodes in now. So, close to uh, seven years because it's, you know, it's a weekly podcast. So, coming up on, yeah, almost seven years.
0: Oh, fantastic. Now, are you also broadcast on any radio stations?
1: Yeah, we have about 30 uh, radio stations throughout Texas that, that carry the program every weekend.
0: Great. And they can, uh, Head over to Show dot com to check out if a radio station's uh, uh, near where they're at, or just download the episode right from your website. Can they not?
1: Yes, sir. Yeah, we've got all of our affiliates and the uh, you know the days and times that they carry the show. Um, you know, everywhere from Dallas to San Antonio to Lubbock to uh, Corpus Christi, all over Texas. Um, and then the podcast is also free on iTunes as well as our website.
0: Great. No. What led you into doing this? What, uh, how long was broadcasting something you did before this, or what, what brought
1: you? Down? Yeah, um, I well actually, you know, I figured growing up if I couldn't play sports professionally, I'd I'd want to you know I'd talk about them on the radio, and uh, hopefully get paid a lot of money to do that. But everybody wanted to do that. I found out so after I, I graduated from college, uh, I got a a job at a radio station. Uh, kind of as the program director in East Texas, uh, in Texarkana small station, but one of my weekly responsibilities was to host a, uh, hunting and fishing show. And to be honest with you, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with it. the people, the guests that I wanted to have on, um, uh, just very approachable. You know, the outdoor industry is a, it's a tight knit group of people, but it's, it's mostly made up of good people. And, uh, and you know, they want to talk about their passion. So, uh, I kind of just fell in love with it and, um, then and no offense to anyone that voted for Obama, but when he got elected, you know, the economy went in the crapper and I ended up my boss couldn't afford to pay me. So I ended up losing my job and we moved back to Dallas and I was kinda of scratching my head, thinking of, you know, what am I gonna do? And I decided, you know, um I went and listened to a bunch of outdoor radio shows and to be honest with you, they were boring. Just kinda of putting me to sleep, like the crappier biting on Minnows on Lake Fork at six to eight feet, and then they go read the next Lake Report. I was like, man, the outdoors is so much more exciting than this. we got to do something to get people excited about it and get them interested. So uh, just kind of, you know, that's why I incorporate the music and all that stuff into the show. I uh, just try to keep it entertaining and, and uh, fresh, kind of, you know, different content every week. And uh, that's kind of how that got started. I just fell into it, to be honest with you.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's that's one thing I like about your show is it's you've got – uh, some good uh, content on there, th- very interesting content along with the music. It it just keeps a nice flow going to the show. And you're right. You listen to a lot of the shows, and um, well, we're all behind microphones kind of doing the same thing, uh, there's just not a lot of life to some of the shows.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, and I, I think it's changed, though. I mean, that, that was, like I said, seven years ago. Podcasts weren't even a thing back then. You know, nobody had a podcast seven years ago. Uh it was just all radio shows and it was guys in their I would say my dad's age in their sixties just sitting there reading lake reports.
0: Like, this is so boring.
1: <laughs> so yeah.
0: well I wanna jump in to talk about something I heard on one of your shows and I, I wanna I thought it was really interesting was tell uh tell the listeners a little bit about that issue you had with going uh shark fishing down in Corpus. Was it Corpus, I think?
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was Corpus, uh huh. And uh, man, well, our guide ended up canceling a uh, kind of last-minute deal, and I'm not going to throw him under the bus, but I never did hear back from the guy or anything. I mean, he just sent me a text like the day before, it was like the weather's bad, we're not going. So we had, you know, we had booked the whole trip kind of uh, around that, you know, that shark fishing adventure, which didn't pan out. So we just went to the pier, my buddy and I. <laughs> And we actually met some, uh, some very nice people and I'd call them, and I think they call themselves pier rats and they just basically stay on the pier 24 seven fishing, you know, if they're not at work, they're on the pier. And, uh, they showed us the ropes and we, you know, we didn't have the right gear or anything as far as the heavy tackle you need. And, um, I caught about a four foot, uh, black tip that night, but we didn't catch any of the. You know they're all after ten ten foot bull sharks and hammerheads and and they have the gear to do it. Um, but man, it was crazy. You just watch this guy. They lower a kayak down off the side of the pier. A guy jumps in in the pitch black middle of the night. Guy just jumps overboard in the in the water that you're shark fishing in, and he paddles the, this bait out there five hundred to a thousand yards out. Sets the bait down. Of course, they've got you know like a pound anchor on it, uh, you know weight to to keep it in place and. And you just sit on the pier and and wait for something to hit it. Uh, So, and then the fight's on. And I mean, sometimes it takes them 30 minutes. Sometimes it takes them five hours to reel these things in. Um, Unfortunately, we didn't see a a really big hookup that night, but it it was very educational. And uh, it's kind of a, I'd say like a subculture down there on the coast for these these shark fishermen, something I'd never, you know, we'd had them on the show. Whenever someone catches a giant shark, you know, state record or something, and we kind of scratched the surface. And that's kind of, I guess, where it sparked my interest on the on the whole shark fishing thing. But it really is just a, a tight-knit group of folks. But like like I told you earlier, why I got into the outdoor industry, just good people, you know?
0: Well, and that's why I brought that story up, uh, because it really is, it's one of those things where if you're interested in getting into a particular type of hunting or fishing, generally, if you ask, people are only too willing to... to usher you in and yeah you know i encountered that when i came down here i'm i'm handicapped and i wanted to start hunting with a crossbow uh-huh. and, uh, i fell into a group of people that used crossbows and that's all they basically use and you know i have built some great friendships out of that and uh, uh, it's just an amazing group of people both so and if they don't know some, if they don't know it, they'll know somebody who knows what you're needing, and it's just a great way to to network and meet people and make some really good friends.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And I and I will plug uh, the guys who took us out. They're all ex-military. Some of them are disabled vets. Uh, their organization is called Third Coast Sharking. So, uh, like like you just mentioned, they were more than happy to show us the ropes. One guy even. He left. This was like 3 in the morning. One guy's like, okay, I'll be right back. He, he leaves, goes all the way back to his house, comes back with two more rods and a freezer bag full of Bonita fish that was a pretty highly prized bait for him, you know. He, those were hard to come by, and, and he let us use I mean, what, what what was his was ours, you know, that kind of deal.
0: See, and that's all it took. Uh,
1: yeah. So great. It mm-hmm. was
0: Third Coast Sharking?
1: Yeah, Third Coast Sharking, uh-huh.
0: All right, I'll have the note in
1: my yeah. notes. They got a Facebook page.
0: Yeah, we'll have a link to their Facebook page. They deserve some credit for that.
1: Uh, that's yeah, good group of
0: guys. Fantastic. So, you know, going through, there's some neat things as, as you get to go around and, and pursue the passion, which is hunting and fishing. You know, I saw a neat few pictures of you with bears. Have, have you been on multiple bear hunts and whereabouts?
1: Uh, no, that, that was just one bear hunt. Uh, it was kind of something I always wanted to do. And, uh, uh, ended up going up to Alberta, um, went through an outfitter. We met at the Dallas safari club show and, uh, booked that trip and ended up, um, see, I took two black bears, one with the bow, one with the rifle. And, uh, it was, it was a pretty interesting experience. I mean, um, we weren't roughing it as far as the lodge was concerned. We had a nice lodge and a chef and all that stuff. So my buddy that went with me, um, he doesn't bow hunt and, and he kind of said, Hey, listen, I'll go on a spare hunt with you, but don't put me in any wall tent. You know, don't, I don't want to be roughing it. I'm kind of precious. So, you know, uh, keep that in mind when you book it. <laughs> so that kind of limited our options as far as uh, you know, really, really roughing it. And uh, you know, cause I like to do those, those backwoods back country hunts where you stay in a wall tent or maybe you, you stay in a one man tent and you pack everything in on your back. But uh, my friend, he was not interested in that in the least. So, we we had a great time. Uh, but it's crazy because you have a basically all these these guides. They have their own string of baits. Maybe they have twenty baits that they check every day, and they drop you off and they hang a new tree stand. They don't have a setup, you know, deal. They just pick out a tree over one of their baits and they've got trail cameras. They know the bears are coming in, and they say, "Okay, don't get out, don't get out of the tree stand. I'll pick you up after dark." Okay, so you're sitting there, there's bears, there's wolves, and it, the only rule is don't get out of the tree stand cuz literally there's stuff on the ground that will eat you if uh if you get down and or could eat you, you know. Yep, you're no longer the or, top of the food chain. M- yeah, more the bears. I mean, wolves don't really attack people very often. Um but but yeah, the bears can and, and would, uh especially if you ran across a mom with cubs. Um but yeah, I mean, and the crazy thing up there in, in we were in Alberta, Canada, uh, flew into Edmonton, and and I think our we were about two hours south of there. Um, but you don't even hunt the mornings. You you get up around you get up around nine ten, eat breakfast, kind of lounge around, and uh, maybe read a book or play on your phone or whatever you want to do, uh, and then about you know you eat lunch after you know, maybe around two, and then four o'clock. All the guides say, all right, time to go load up on. Actually, we drove the truck about 40 miles, then got in a, uh ATV from the truck and went 10 miles into the bush. And uh, so you get there, you're sitting in your tree stand about five or six, but it doesn't get dark up there till 11, at night. So you really, you do about a six hour sit and, you know, you're looking at your watch and thinking, man, it's, it's 11 o'clock at night and it's still sunny out here. So that was kind of a different, you know. I hadn't experienced that before. That was kind of interesting, and and then you get home after the hunt, and you eat dinner about 1 a.m., go to bed, and do it all over again.
0: Yeah, that sounds like I did. A, that sounds like a, a blast. I did a a bear hunt in uh, Ontario one time. Oh yeah. I ended up missing the bear, and make a long story short, I I missed a couple times and was out of arrows and didn't have a gun. And like you say, they just drop you off out there. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Uh, That bear came up the hill and I thought, man, the only blood trail they're going to find out of this whole experience is mine. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Not happy. Uh, Yeah. It's a, it's a whole different ball game. And uh, when you're not the, when you're not the top of the food chain anymore, it's a, it's a different experience.
1: There's no doubt about that.
0: (laughs) That would be fun to try and take one uh like you did or take two like you did that's a that's a very successful trip
1: yeah yeah that was 2014 i just got the bears back i got one turned into a rug and then the uh other one the the boar that i shot ended up being the biggest bear that they had they killed 50 bears a year up there with mckinnon outfitters and it was the biggest one they killed all season um and and that was just luck you know it wasn't because i'm some great hunter it just happened that my my guide said hey i got a big bear i don't have pictures of him but you know those those uh 50 gallon drums that they put the bait in right you know those trash cans those 50 gallon metal trash cans well that's what they put the bait in and they chain those to a tree or stake them down or whatever and i said well if you if you don't have pictures how do you know there's a big boar here and he goes just trust me that that uh 50 gallon drum was 300 yards into the woods and a little bear didn't carry that ripped that off the tree and carried it in there so <laughs> So uh, he said, "Do you want to go in there?" It's, it was a 14 kilometer ride back into the brush um, on, you know, just a four wheeler. So I'm, I had to ride behind him, and I said, "Yeah, man, I, I want to kill a big bear." So it ended up working out. And uh,
0: is that the one you took with yeah. the rifle?
1: Yeah, that was a rifle. Uh huh. Yeah.
0: Okay. I see that picture yeah. on your website, and that is a big bear.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty special. And like I said, though, it was just luck of the. Luck of the draw, he had a big one that he knew was there, and he put me on him. So i got to give, give credit to the guide and the outfitter in that situation.
0: Now, with you being a bow hunter, have you been out for whitetail so far since that started up here in Texas?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I and I actually have a lease because I live up in north Texas. I, my my dear lease is actually in Oklahoma. Uh, just a little tip for anyone that lives in the north Texas area, um, you can get land a lot cheaper in Oklahoma than you can within two hours of Dallas-Fort Worth. <laughs> You know, you're looking at three thousand, four thousand dollars a gun if you want to stay within two hours of the, the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex. For a place where, let's say, you want a 140 inch genetics or a chance to shoot a nice buck, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's expensive. But you can go to Oklahoma and get it for half that. Okay. So that's kind of that's that's why I went up there. Yeah, I mean, I mean, leases are just a lot cheaper now. They do gouge you on out of state license because Oklahoma's set up a lot different than Texas. It's it's two hundred something bucks for your license, and <laughs> then if you want to bow hunt, that's 280 if you want to they have a two-week muzzleloader season that's 280 and then if you want a rifle hunt they only have a a two-week rifle season that's 280 so they don't do the out-of-state guys any favors but the lease is still you know more affordable
0: yeah you end up paying
1: Uh, one way or another yeah they're gonna get you they are gonna get you but uh but yeah oklahoma is a it's a kind of a sportsman's paradise that a lot of people don't realize They've, they've got a lot of that it's kind of right there at the tail end of those, you know, those big Kansas bucks, the Midwest there. Some of that stuff's in Oklahoma, too. So there's some nice deer up there.
0: Neat. And how big is your lease there? Uh, It's
1: um, 950 acres, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, so big <laughs> enough to there's, give some deer some cover.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, and there's four of us on it. We all bow hunt. I mean, it'd be pointless to go to Oklahoma if you weren't going to bow hunt because, like I said, there's only a two-week rifle season there. Got so, it. yeah, so, yeah, we uh, – so, anyway, yeah, back to your question. Yeah, I took a nice uh, eight-point – opening weekend uh he actually it was the biggest uh buck i've ever killed with my bow with 142 inches um so it was a nice nice deer and there was a little history there we had it last year was our first year on that lease, and we uh we got pictures of this deer and i sent them to a a biologist buddy of mine and said how old do you think this buck is i think he's uh three and a half or four and a half he's like i I think he's probably four and a half so we said let's not shoot this deer um you know, let's give him another year. And we all agreed on that. And then I was sitting, Jason, I was sitting in my blind opening weekend of rifle season and I lost count of rifle shots at 25. And I was just like, this is just, it's like world war three out here. These people are, they they have a different mindset on management in Oklahoma. And, and by that, I mean, they don't do it. If it's Brown, it's down. <laughs> so uh, we kind of had a meeting between the four of us and said, you know what, if one of y'all sees this deer, uh, by all means, take him. So, the deer made it through the season and we're glad he did because he he was something pretty special this year and you know for a, a free ranging uh eight point to go 142 that was you know i was tickled to death
0: oh yeah that's a big deer that's a, yeah yeah i grew up in michigan and it was the same basic premise uh if it's brown it's down it's so <laughs> the bigger bucks became nocturnal and so you're seeing a few guys taking better deer out now but Everybody would, you know, always want to go up north to hunt and it turned out that the guys that stayed down in the southern part of the state around the farmland, around the golf courses and all those areas, that's where they started finding the big deer.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. They're gonna stay close to the food, that's for sure. And I'll say this, just oh go ahead, man.
0: No, I was just saying food and safety.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um and yeah, and this so and here's a little tip for anyone out there that doesn't already implore this strategy, but obviously in Texas and Oklahoma, we have feeders, we can bait deer, you know, that's, that's how we do it. And, uh, um, I'll say that a lot of those big bucks don't, mm, they'll, they'll screw up during the rut, but as a general rule, they don't come into the feeders like those and, and younger bucks do. Uh, but they will come into, you know, hand corn. So what I started doing was just every time I went out to the lease and, and you know, it's two hours away, so I wouldn't going out there every week, but I kind of conditioned them to look in this one spot and I dump two or three bags, 50-pound bags of corn there. And, you know, I set up a camera, and sure enough, the, the buck started coming into that on a regular basis when I put corn there. Um, and that's where I ended up killing him over that uh, over that hand corn. You know, just they feel safer. You can get it, you know, put in a little bit more cover. And I had mine backed up to the wood so they could just basically never really leave the cover. Um, and he was pretty comfortable there. That's where I ended up shooting him. So I highly recommend that.
0: Yeah, sometimes the the feeding, or you know, even when we we just uh, you drop corn on the road, and they get conditioned, they might not like to go to the feeders. But you'll see those bigger ones come out of the brush, hit whatever's oh going yeah, and run right back into the the brush, and that's where yeah. guys take some really nice animals. Is just when they'll drop a little corn on the road, those animals get conditioned mm-hmm. to that sound.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, in your part of the world down there, you know. San Antonio and then down in the brush country, that's that's where uh that's where I killed my biggest rifle buck, uh, Webb County. And that was simply what you just alluded to. You got you get in the ATV and you got a feeder on the back of it and you just corn the Senderos and those deer they get used to that sound and so they know that's the dinner bell. Uh, so you know, they those bucks will come out um pretty frequently in those in those senderos. That's where a lot of them get killed with rifles for sure
0: yeah that's a that's a big way down here and it was completely foreign to me when i came down here uh but tell you what i see a lot more deer down here sitting out than i've ever seen in well i shouldn't say ever but then i see in uh many of the areas where my buddies hunt up north uh, the, oh yeah you, areas that you would think man this can't hold any deer and sure enough they're in there
1: mm-hmm. yeah and that's an interesting thing and in, in one of the i don't know i i I call it almost a black eye for the hunting community is baiting deer. Is it ethical? Is it not? Well, it's all based on where you grew up. I mean, you grew up in Michigan. So baiting deer was something that you didn't do probably here. That's what we do and we use it. And it's not just to kill big bucks. We use it as a management tool. You know, you need to kill, um, say whatever the number is, X number of deer off your place. Well, yeah, set up a feeder, get your numbers down and you're going to have a healthier herd overall. Uh, and you know, whether you're doing doe management or whatever, uh, you know, baiting is, is a, is a management tool. Um, but that whole, that whole mindset is solely based off. And I've figured this out over the years where you grew up, if it was illegal to bait where you grew up, you're probably going to think baiting is, is wrong. If it's legal where you grew up, then you're going to think, oh yeah, that's what we do. That's how, that's how we hunt. And the, and there's, and the thing is, is that neither way is wrong or right or better than the other way. Um, that's kind of what we need to all remember is we're all hunters and just because you might do it different than me doesn't make your way wrong or right. Um, you know, we just need to accept, as long as you're hunting ethically, who cares? Because at the end of the day, how does me baiting in Texas affect you hunting up there in Pennsylvania? You're doing a deer drive, pushing deer. You've got, you've got 10 guys walking the woods and four shooters lined up at the end of a tree line. How's that any different? Exactly. You know, it's not, I mean, the deer, the deer need to get shot. So how are we going to get How are we going to get them shot? You know, as long as it's ethical, who cares?
0: Some yeah. of those guys will be the same ones you'll hear them complaining, but they're also the same ones that set up on the edge of a cornfield.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's which is a big, big feeder essentially. Exactly.
0: <laughs> I always laugh. My uncle has a farm in Michigan and raises uh, or grows uh, soybeans. Uh huh. I'm like, so what you're telling me is you got a 300 acre food plot?
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly.
0: So it, it's it's no. I've seen guys set up their uh, in old apple orchards and again i'm going okay yes you're not putting those old apples down on the ground but you're still baiting so yeah it's yeah it has a lot to do with where you grow up and the way i look at it the, the hunters spend too much time squabbling with each other as long as you got a license and it's legal you're not going to hear a peep out of me i could care less how you take your deer i just give you congratulations for taking one yeah
1: oh yeah yeah i mean i would always say high fence low fence no fence you know, hunt your way, however you, however that is. Whatever, every hunter has their own code, you know. But as long as it's ethical, it's not bothering me, man. And uh, and I've shot bucks in a high fence, and I've shot plenty of deer on an open range. And I will tell you this, no high fence buck is ever going to mean as much to me as something I shot on, you know, free range or at my deer lease where I put in the blood, sweat, and tears and all the work, you know. Um, it's not, it's not. But it's still fun, and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, shoot. Shooting a deer in a high fence—it's uh, still venison for your family, and most people just go buy at the grocery store. Exactly. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, and and that's what I always tell people: like, hey, how do you how do you condone high fence hunting? Well, it doesn't matter; it's a management tool. Once again, uh, you can you manage your whitetail herd much better behind a high fence, and now like a, a kick and shoot operation, and uh, you know, and, and they have a lot more actually up like Michigan and up in that part of the world their high fence places are not like our high fence places in Texas. They might have a 200 acre high fence. Mm-hmm. To me that's a little different, you know. I'm, I I don't know that I'd feel comfortable uh in that type of scenario. But, you know, a lot of our high fence places in Texas are 500 acres, 1000 acres, 5000 acres, you know, huge, huge yeah. places. And a lot of those deer they don't even know there's a fence there. They just they grew up there and, you know, they might not even see the end of the fence.
0: Yeah, and I've hunted a number. There's a there's a place I went to down and freer and now again I'm handicapped so when I go in the blind I stay there I don't get out and walk around I'm not out there uh-huh. moving and and because I'm just not physically capable of doing that right and, uh I've gone to this place three times for a nil guy haven't gotten one yet uh yeah and you know that that now maybe that says my uh capacities to shoot too but we won't that's a whole different story but uh <laughs> You know, they're they're there, and I can see them on occasion, um, but it's so thick. And for somebody with a limited mobility like myself, who's not going to get out and walk a long distance, the place is uh, about 200 acres under high fence. Uh-huh. It might as well be 200,000 acres because I'm not going to see the whole yeah. place.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: And if the deer are on the other side of the hill or not within 100 yards of the blind I'm in, I'm not going to see them. Uh, yeah so they're safe and yes you can you can adjust that by monkeying with the feeders and some things of that nature and that's where i took my access but i'm all for it you know if 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 you if somebody wants to hunt that way as long as they got the license and it's legal go for it
1: oh yeah yeah i won't knock it i mean and, and i've hunted uh i've hunted whitetails and in, in like you you know axis deer and other exotics behind high fences some of them 5,000 acre pastures, some of them 500. And uh, it took me three times to go to my buddy's ranch and uh, rock in rock Springs, Coons Canyon ranch, uh, to get an access buck. Meanwhile, the biggest, uh, buck I've ever taken on the open range. I shot in 10 minutes sitting down in Webb County, you know, on a 40,000 acre place, <laughs> you know, low fence. That's so, amazing. yeah. And it can, and, and, and that was opening for someone that hunts North Texas to go down there for the first time and, see that amount of deer and you know i'm sitting in the tripod with a rifle and my buddy says all right you're going to see a lot of deer don't shoot the first thing that walks out so i, said, well, I was just amazed at how many deer came out of that sendero and uh and i shot the first thing that walked out and it was an awesome buck so <laughs> well, why not? Just, uh, yeah 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 And until this year it was the biggest deer i'd ever killed uh, uh no doubt about it well, so
0: you just mentioned something i want to jump back to real quick well two things one is, uh, you mentioned Coons Canyon Ranch. Uh-huh. That's spelled K-O-O-N-S, Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs. Yeah. I've seen some yep. great pictures come out of that place. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, he's got a nice size, what is it, 600, 650 acres, something like that in there I've seen before?
1: Yeah, one section, so one one square mile, yeah. Okay.
0: And uh, yeah. that's I've just seen some nice stuff, so you've been able to hunt that several times, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, so that's actually Glenn uh, Underwood's the owner, and he originally uh, we got kind of hooked up because he wanted to advertise his hunt, um, and so we started doing that, and then he uh, he now sponsors our photo of the year contest. So every month we have a every month we have a prize, it's, you know, an outdoor related uh, prize. Sometimes it's a gun or a bow or a, a rangefinder or you know a nice fishing pole or whatever. It usually ranges between like three hundred and eight hundred bucks. And they're all donated by our sponsors, um, so so we give those away each month, and then the twelve monthly winners square off at the end of the year for our Photo of the Year grand prize hunt package. We get to go down to Coons Canyon Ranch, and uh, I'll go down there with you, and we'll hunt Axis deer, black buck, um, and uh, and it's all decided by fan vote. You know, I don't I don't have anything to do with sorting it out. I don't want that juju or that you know I don't, I don't want that coming back on me. So I let the listeners. Uh, sort that out for us. They pick their monthly winners and then they vote for the grand prize winner. But uh, we always go down to Coons Canyon Ranch and, and, uh, and Glenn and I, anyway, we became friends. He's the precious one that went to Alberta with me on the bear hunt. Uh, So, yeah, so we've done quite a few. Uh, We've done that. We've gone to West Texas and shot antelope together and uh, alligator down around Houston, uh, mule deer out in West Texas, although we both struck out on that hunt. So uh, we we became buddies, and that was all through uh, just his ranch. But, you know, that's just the kind of people that uh, exist in the hunting and fishing community, just good folks. And you can become fast friends when you didn't even expect it.
0: Well, very neat. I, I've I've heard very good things about him and his operation, so that's good to hear. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: The link to his website, uh, well, I'll have the link to your website, and people can access it through your website as well. Right on. Then last but not least, I want to talk to you, talk a little bit about the Dallas Safari Club. And uh, I'm a member of that and a member down here in the new South Texas chapter. But Oh, yeah. the um, Talk a little bit about your, your affiliation with the Dallas Safari Club as well as the convention they have coming up.
1: Oh, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, so Dallas Safari Club is actually the title sponsor of our show. And they've been the title sponsor for, oh, like, I think, I believe three years now. Um, But it's, uh, you know, you're a member, it's a great organization, which was exclusive to Dallas. Now, exciting stuff, though, uh, as you're involved with the South Texas chapters, we have a chapter system. Uh, So, you know, if anyone out there listening is interested in finding out more, uh, you know, about creating their own chapter in in their neck of the woods, uh, you can find all that at biggame.org. But more importantly, DSC is just a great conservation organization. That's the first, uh, you know, that's first and foremost, what the mission statement is: is conservation, education, and and hunter advocacy, which means you know hunters' uh, rights, and and they push the needle uh, as far as you know, keeping keeping people educated on on hunters' rights, both the hunting community and the anti-hunters, and uh, and and DSC does uh, they do take a lot of heat from from the anti-hunting community. Uh, especially, you know, going back uh, three years ago with that black rhino hunt, they auctioned off at the convention. Uh, I mean, that, that hunt was actually covered by CNN. They went and filmed Corey Knowlton, um, in South Africa, taking I think it was South Africa taking that, that black rhino. Um, and he, you know, it made headlines cause he paid $350,000 to go on that hunt. But the thing was, is that all that money went right back into conservation, uh, and, and that rhino was earmarked by the government to be killed anyway because it was it had become a non-breeding member of the population and was pretty cantankerous and was fighting other bulls and basically doing more at this at that point in his life uh, harm to the overall vitality of the herd than he was doing any good. So they were going to kill it. Well, here's three here's three hundred fifty thousand dollars that a hunter just pumped right into their economy, pumped into anti-poaching efforts for other rhinos, and it uh, got that that problem bull out of the herd. Uh, so you, I mean, you tell me what's, what's bad about that? Nothing, nothing at all. I mean, that's sustainable hunting. That's how it works. That's why the United States and South Africa have the most wildlife in the world, because we know how to take care of it. We understand that hunting is what's going to save the wildlife. Um, there's no, it, it's funny to me because anti-hunters think there's some, some magical, mythical money tree that's just has all these conservation dollars growing on it. That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. We, the hunters, the, the anglers out there with our license, you know, every time we buy a license, every time we buy a box of ammo, every time we buy fishing tackle, you know, we taxed ourselves on that and all that money, the Pittman-Robertson act. I think it was, I think it was 1937 when, uh, and that, that date might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. When hunters realized that, Hey, we need to start taking care of, of this stuff because no one else is. Uh, and so we placed that tax on ourselves and, um, I don't know how many hundreds of million dollars you know it pumps into uh, wildlife conservation, but that's what funds your state wildlife organizations. Texas Parks and Wildlife, largely funded by hunting and fishing dollars.
0: It's not bird watching. No, up, no, right? no. Well, it's certainly that they get to benefit from the use of the land. It, that's not what pays the bills, and you know.
1: No, exactly.
0: I said this when that one English actor, uh, Ricky Gervais, was going on and on about.
1: The oh land. my God. Said, guy's an
0: idiot. You know, go over there and send them $50, dollars 100000 of your, your money to protect some of these animals. I said, you know, you got to stop with the Disney conservation theory. It's not just one big mm-hmm. open plane where these animals walk around and are buddies with each other.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, Ricky Gervais, that guy's a moron. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and that whole Cecil the Lion thing. Uh, and another thing, Dal Safari Club was was very involved in was educa- you know, and still educating people on sustainable hunting. But that that whole thing has caused 200 lions to be slated for extermination. And I can't remember the name of the national park, but essentially, um, sustainable hunting was managing the herd. I think it might be in Mozambique. Um, they were in Zimbabwe. But, uh, Zimbabwe. Okay. Yeah, you've got a handle on it then. Uh, but yeah, those there's 200 lions that that are now going to be killed if they haven't already uh, been removed. But that's because there was too many lions. Hunters were taking X number of lions out of the population uh, every year. And the population was, you know, thriving because of it. Well, what happens when they become overpopulated, they get sick. They're starving. They're starting to move into the people's villages and prey on livestock more frequently or people. I mean, that's, that's not an uncommon thing. People get eaten by lions in Africa. Um, and and that becomes uh, more and more prevalent. Well, then you've got to go in. The government has to go in now and and kill two hundred lions. That uh, at let's just say, basically, I think the math added up to ten million dollars um, that was lost for conservation because those lions were not going to be hunted by, uh, in large part, North Americans who go over there for trophy hunting. Um, but as you know, Dallas Safari Club states, you know. Uh, hunting is conservation and, and people that, that don't understand that, you know, have got those rose colored glasses on are truly missing the boat and, and just, uh, you know, they're, they're furthering ignorance, which is the most frustrating thing about it is, uh, is it's, they don't want to, you could tell them and you could show them the stats and they're still not going to believe
0: you. No, they're, so, they're preservationists. You know. They're not conservationists. And, yeah. and they, that makes for a very unique mindset to deal with, and you end up with somebody that don't confuse them with the facts whatever they think yeah. they know they think they know,
1: yeah, oh yeah, God forbid you' show them some facts I mean but it doesn't matter, but so you know we're never going to change those people's minds that's something I've learned over the years it's it's not though the anti hunters the pita freaks, they're lost cause, it's the people on the fence that you know maybe they don't hunt uh maybe they don't fish, but they're okay with it. Or maybe they're, they're indifferent. Uh, those are the people we need on our side is, and we're not saying, Hey, of course we'd love them to start hunting or fishing, but if they don't, they don't, uh, as long as they don't, they don't, you know, condemn our way of life. Uh, it's those people that that we really need to focus on educating, uh, in this country, um, or, you know, uh, abroad as well, just as, as hunters and anglers in general, um, Because as long as the general population doesn't have a problem with it, we're not going to lose our rights. Uh, It's
0: It's interesting. Growing up in Michigan, when you would go up to many of the small towns, they all had what were called buck poles. And, you know, there wasn't anybody that you were ever really aware of that was anti-hunting. And when you shot your buck, you took it into town. You hung it on the buck pole, and of course, it was generally cold, so your meat didn't go bad. And mm-hmm. down and stand outside and look at everybody's bucks they were getting, um, <laughs> and that was a very common thing. And all somebody's got, to, and that was common through Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota. If they just Google, you know, old time buck poles, you'll see them at the camps and at the at the. Oh camps. yeah. So, this whole phenomena of this anti-hunting movement is. Really, I I blame in a large part. and Maybe it's misplacing the blame, but I blame Disney with the the generation of being raised that all they got exposure to was something like the Lion King, and they think that's mm-hmm. what it's like they don't actually go out and experience it. They sit behind their keyboards and condemn people that are out there experiencing it and and putting the money into the economy. Is yeah. What about will you be at the Dallas Safari Club Convention?
1: Oh yeah, and it's called I think it's called adventure uh this year uh, every year has a different theme, but uh and I'm, I don't have the dates in front of me. it's usually the second week of january maybe it's maybe it's the first week this year, but it's at the beginning of january uh it's the biggest hunting convention um as far as people and, and foot traffic i mean there will be i think we'll have over fifty thousand attendees this year. Uh, there'll be uh, like 500-something exhibitors from all over the world uh, hunting and fishing trips from not just Africa but New Zealand if you want to go hunt red stag or uh, say you want to go fishing in Argentina or uh, dove hunting in you know Argentina, whatever. I mean, there's people from all over the world, uh, Alaska, Yukon, moose, brown bear hunts, you name it. And, and, of course, the average guy myself, I can't afford to go hunt go on a lot of those trips but you know you, you have a bucket list and we're all trying to check it off you know one at a time uh maybe you can maybe you can afford one i mean there's a big price difference between alberta black bear and yukon grizzly bear you know what i'm saying so yeah for me i could afford to go to alberta one time and and do that uh it might take my uh My kids, you know, sacrificing my kids' college tuition to go shoot a brown bear. (laughs) Uh, But there's something for everybody. I mean, whitetail hunts in Texas, elk hunts in New Mexico, and uh, you want to go shoot a big Kansas whitetail, they've got that. They've got stuff for everybody. And you can bring your wife because they've got jewelers and, uh, you know, you want to buy her a mink coat or whatever. (laughs) They've got got pretty extravagant stuff as well. Uh, Wildlife artists that are really well-respected, they've got paintings, sculptures, I mean, there's just, you could spend three days there and not see everything. I mean, it's huge. Just at the Dallas Convention Center, it'll be packed. Um, I mean, for the exhibitors, there's a waiting list like five years long. If you just want to get into the show, just, you know, advertise your business. I mean, you got to get in line and wait your turn. So uh, it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool deal. They have banquets every night that, you know, really raise a lot of money for conservation. That's where that a black rhino hunt was auctioned off at one of the, the evening banquets. I can't remember the dollar amount that we raised for conservation through that convention every year, but it's in the millions. Um, there's no doubt about that. And of course, DSC, um, you know, they give it all back to conservation. So it's a pretty cool deal. And, and I've never been anything else like it. And uh, and I will be out there. I'm I'm actually I volunteer with DSC. You know, it's the whole convention. And that's the cool thing is it's entirely run by volunteers. So the members of Dallas Safari Club put the whole thing on. Uh so I'll be out there volunteering as part of the uh exhibitor welcome committee and I'm I'm certainly looking forward to it.
0: Oh, fantastic. It's hard to explain. My first year I went was a few years back and probably the best way to explain it is if you've ever taken a 5-year-old into a Toys R Us. Yeah. Toys R Us for adults that are into hunting. Oh, yeah. It, it's absolutely amazing. That's where I found my African trip, and uh, there's some great show specials. I ended up booking a trip to Zimbabwe, and uh, for nine nine animals, eight animals, and oh wow, it, the trip was about six grand. So, yes, that was expensive, and I I spent a few years saving up for it. But as you know, you can spend six thousand easily on one exotic here in Texas, or or even a non-exotic. So, oh yeah. Uh I was pleased with it. I had a successful trip. Uh it was top-notch all the way across. And uh you'll just you'll run into these trips whether it be as you said New Zealand, Africa, uh all over North America, Mexico. Uh I saw I talked to some guys one time that were in from Scotland. Uh from uh-huh. stag. So uh,
1: they had kilts on.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so it's That's yeah, pretty cool. It's a neat show if you're out of state and you want to get to a spot where it's uh not maybe maybe not snowing, uh come on down for the trip. And also for the chapters, go onto the Dallas Safari Club uh website. If you are not in the state of Texas, you can still set up a chapter uh affiliated with the Dallas Safari Club. They have one I think right now in somewhere in the New England area.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I can't remember the name, but yeah, for sure they do.
0: And uh, it's a great organization, and you know, there's contacts on the website that will be more than happy to help you set one up. So yeah. I just can't say enough about uh, that organization, that show. Uh, it's a it's a pleasure being uh, a member of that
1: that group. Oh yeah, there's no doubt, and 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 I've booked some crazy stuff there too. That's you'll have to tell me more about that African experience because uh, I'm going to end up going to South Africa with John X Safaris. Um, this summer, that will be my first time over there, but they're, they always have a booth at DSC. That's kind of where I met them. And then we booked our black bear hunt there. Uh, last year I booked a, uh, some, this is something I'm really excited about. So trapping, uh, I'm not a trapper, but it's something that always has interested me and, and been, you know, kind of, I've been fascinated by the allure and the kind of that way of life. Cause it is a, a dying pastime. Um, uh, but I booked a uh, Canadian trapline adventure in British Columbia for, I had to book it for 2018. That was the first opening they had. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, you go and, and they teach you how to trap for a week and, uh, you, you trap lynx and wolves, coyotes, fox, wolverines, uh, the whole, the whole deal. And, you know, whatever, whatever you trap on your trapline, uh, you get to bring home with you. So as far as the pelts, you know, so I think it'd be pretty cool to have a, a full body wolf mount in the, in the studio.
0: Yeah, I grew up uh, uh, with a great uncle that ran a trap line for muskrats. Oh yeah. So, well, I only I think I went out with him once or twice. Uh we would always watch him come home with the muskrats and skin them and and flesh them out and everything. So, it is a it is a unique item and I I've seen that trip similar to what you're talking about, maybe the same trip, and always thought, "Wow, that would be an absolute blast."
1: And uh, Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, my black the black bear hunt I'm looking to book for maybe 2018, 2019, somewhere in that neighborhood, is from some guys I met at the Dallas Safari Club show, and uh, up in uh, uh, Manitoba. So uh-huh. it's it's like I said, you'll just run across stuff that'll if you aren't looking to do an out of state hunt, but you've always been curious about it, man, that'll get you fired up to do one.
1: Oh, for sure, for sure,
0: and not to yeah, mention, there's. All the all the celebrities you'll see on that you generally see on TV are there. Uh, so, uh, very approachable bunch of group of guys, and be more than happy to talk with folks. So, you know, I encourage anybody out of the state or even in the state attend. It's a good time.
1: There's no doubt. I mean, yeah, they have roundtables with, you know, a panel discussion with Jim Shockey and Larry Weishun and uh, Ivan Carter. Um, you know, famous Ph from. Uh, Africa and they'll all sit up there. There'll be five or six of them and, uh, they'll have a discussion on, you know, a topic relating to hunting and fishing and, and, uh, that's good stuff as well. But yeah, one other thing I was, to to tell you, so I've always been intrigued. I really like predator hunting. Uh, and last year i I was trying to book a mountain lion hunt there. Um, and I didn't actually find the outfitter that I thought was a good fit for me, but I found a taxidermist from Colorado whose cousin was a, uh, a, a lion hunter had a pack of hounds and so I ended up going up there and hunting with him for eight days last spring. I wanted to do a dry ground mountain lion hunt. Um and when I went anyway it rained, sleeted or snowed. Every day I was there in April, which <laughs> it was just you can't get the dogs on a on a scent if it keeps evaporating every day, which is what it would do. Um when that precipitation gets into the into the ground the, the line scent just evaporates. Uh so we kinda ran into a snag there. But I'm going back in December and we're gonna do it in the snow and uh you know, that was a, the guy i hunted so hard, you know, I've been on hunts where I thought, oh, this outfitter wasn't that great. This was not the case. I mean, he hunted from sunup to sundown every day and, uh, we just kind of had a bad luck, but, uh, another good, another good guy, another outdoorsman. And, and I don't know if you, uh, if you like to hunt with, with dogs or not, but I mean, that's kind of what got me into hunting, I'd say is, is, uh, duck hunting with my my lab i just fell in love with it uh, watching him do what he loved to do and i mean I don't, if it wasn't for that that whole experience duck hunting i don't think i'd be where i am today as far as involved in the outdoor industry yeah, yeah so
0: you know i've i've not done it uh i'm not ad- adverse to it and i think it'd be a blast to do it's just nothing i've ever been uh been exposed to or had the opportunity to to do so uh but yeah. yes i've watched the guys that have the the short haired pointers that are trained and they'll have them out pheasant or quail. And it's really neat to watch, uh, the dog go through its paces and do what, you know, they, they can't stop wagging their tails when they're all done and getting their praise and they absolutely love
1: it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't matter to me, the species, ducks, quail, pheasant hogs, I mean, hog doggins that's, that's an adrenaline rush in and of itself. Uh, if you want to meet some good old boys, you know, go on a hog-dogging trip, I guarantee you. <laughs> There's some, those are some rough-around-the-edges folks who have some you know, rough-around-the-edges dogs, but uh, that's a blast, too. Uh, so, you know, something a little more local, we can definitely do that in Texas uh, pretty easily. Um, but, yeah, I just love watching. And, and that's the thing. Dogs and humans have been working together to pursue and harvest wild game for thousands of years. Uh, so I don't get all these people who get up in arms about, Oh, why would you put your dog in harm's way and blah blah? The, the, these dogs are tools to harvest wild game. That's what a hunting dog is. Yeah, mine, mine. Yeah, it sleeps inside and it's a, more of a family pet. The kids love my lab. But uh, these guys that have serious hounds, packs of hounds, they're, they're. Uh, those dogs are are not pets, and uh, they don't. People don't need to think that they are.
0: Oh no, I've, I've got a guy that I know that has a a pack of dogs for four hogs and oh yeah well you can go around these dogs and they wouldn't care a, you know a bit about you standing there man you you put them anywhere near where they can smell a hog and they will lose their minds and oh yeah
1: they they'll kill themselves chasing it yeah they will so he's got, but they love it that's the thing is they love it they love it that's what they were bred to do it's in their blood they want to do it
0: so yeah yeah they're looking to get one day a uh, blue lacy and I contacted oh, yeah. a couple of breeders, and I said, the thing is, because of my handicap and not being able to run, run them hard, I said, I want you to watch the pups and find me the lazy blue Lacey, the one that has <laughs> to go back to the house and doesn't want to go work hard because that's the one I want.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, that's a that's a pretty unique breed in and of itself. Uh, the state dog of Texas, the blue Lacey. And uh, I, I actually had a guy on from the – there's a Texas Lacey Dog Association. It's uh, like a group of folks who are passionate about raising and breeding and using Lacy's in the field. But the, the Lacy brothers, the ones that started that breed, there's a lot of thought that they actually bred coyote into some kind of uh probably a working dog, like a, you know, a herding dog, like a Australian shepherd or a collie or something like that. So there's, there's that in there and then there's coyote and who knows what else they mixed it together with. But uh that dog, that, those dogs are rough around the rough around the edges too. They're uh they want to work. So,
0: yeah, there's a group, called, uh, Michigan Blood Tracking Association or group or something of that nature. You, They're on Facebook. And a couple of their members just got lacy pups and have been out teaching them.
2: And mm-hmm.
0: they're a group that if you've lost your buck or deer, you can call, if there's a local one, you can call them up and pay them a small fee and they'll come out and run the dog on the track, on the scent, looking to help you find your deer. Mm hmm. They picked up a couple, a couple different people picked up a brother and sister, Lacey, and uh, they're not with each other. They're separated, but they're having real good luck. And I said, you're going to find that one, I think once these people get their hands on these dogs and see what they're capable of, that you'll see more and more of them spread across outside of the state uh, because they yeah. a very versatile dog.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Like you said, they're great. They have a great nose, good for blood tracking. People, People hunt hogs with them um and then uh also i mean they're also working dogs as far as for, for cattle and stuff as well so uh they do have a a lot of desirable traits as far as a working dog is concerned
0: yeah and that's why i always joke around uh, i want the one that just wants to go curl up on the couch because that's my kind of dog <laughs> there you go well, yes been, sir it's been a pleasure you've got a great website i you know again i'll have your website linked in the notes to this show um, and then I'll I'll touch base with you later on. I want to get a couple of the I want to get that link to the outfitter up in Colorado and link that if I can. Oh sure. Uh, you know I, I appreciate your time and I tell everybody go out to uh, LoneStarOutdoorsShow.com uh, and listen to Cable Show. It's a it's a neat show. I've heard some real neat neat topics on there and picked up some uh, good ideas. And it's always one of those things where you know, as I've looked at a place like Coons Canyon as an example, and then I hear this good feedback from a, a third party, it kind of validates what I'm seeing out there. And that these are the kind of places you want to go to. And, uh, you've got some good sponsors I've gone through with. What is that? Uh, the, what's the firearms?
1: Uh, oh, horizon firearms out of college station. Yeah.
0: They make some neat looking guns. So
1: yeah, oh, yeah they do uh, for sure. Uh, Tac drivers.
0: Yeah. That's in, uh, so know just go out check it out the dallas safari club uh you know i, I just can't say enough so i, I appreciate all the time and uh, i know i've kept you on longer than we talked about and uh, oh no worries could stay on a lot longer so i want to be respectful of your time that way and uh i'll hopefully drive some folks out and listen to your show because i it's it's a one of the better outdoor shows out there you know it's it's really intriguing and a, a lot of fun to listen to and uh, you'll also hear some good music So, um, I, again, I can't say enough about heading out to, to listen to your show cable.
1: Well, Jason, it's been uh, a mutual thing. I've enjoyed it as well. Uh, thank you. It's been a privilege to be on your show. Uh, I certainly do appreciate the invitation.
0: Well, it was my pleasure. And, uh, again, I thank you and, and good luck for the remainder of this hunting season. And, and I'll look for you at the DSC show coming up here in January. I'll be there.
1: Awesome. I'll be there every day. So look forward to shaking your hand.
0: Sounds good. It's My pleasure, sir.
1: All right. Take care.
0: You have a good day.
2: It happens every year I start feeling kind of weird when the leaves start falling to the ground. I lie in bed at night hearing birds and fly. It's an unbelievable sound. The weather's getting cold. I should be buying a brand new coat, But I spent my next check on a case of shells And a bunch of cars, don't you?